Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. The word of the Lord comes to us today from Psalm 55. God, listen to my prayer. Don't, don't avoid my request. Pay attention. Answer me. I can't sit still while complaining. I'm beside myself over the enemy's noise at the wicked person's racket because they bring disaster on me and harass me furiously. My heart pounds in my chest because death's terrors have reached me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. I'm shaking all over. I say to myself, I wish I had the wings like a dove. I'd fly away and rest. I'd run so far away. I'd live in the desert. Selah. I'd hurry to my hideout, far from the rushing wind and storm. Baffle them, my Lord. Confuse their language, because I see violence and conflict in the city. Day and night they make their rounds on its walls, and evil and misery live inside it. Disaster lives inside it. Oppression and fraud never leave the town square. It's not an enemy that is insulting me. I could handle that. It's not someone who hates me, who is exalted over me. I could hide from them. No, it's you, my equal, my close companion, my good friend. It was so pleasant when together we entered God's house with the crowd. Let death devastate my enemies. Let them go to the grave alive, because evil lives with them, even inside them. But I call out to God, and the Lord will rescue me. At evening, morning, and midday, I complain and moan so that God will hear my voice. He saves me, unharmed, from my struggle, though there are many who are out to get me. God, who is enthroned from ancient days, will hear and humble them, Selah, because they don't change and they don't worship God. My friend attacked his allies breaking his covenant. Though his talk is smoother than butter, war is in his heart. Though his words are more silky than oil, they are really drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, bring the wicked down to the deepest pit. Let bloodthirsty and treacherous people not live out even half their days. But me, I trust in you. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Good morning, Urban Village. Good morning. It's been a while since I've been able to stand up here and just say, good morning, Urban Village. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, I'm going to take a minute. First, I'm going to get this weight out of my pocket. I got all dressed up, and I'll tell you the reason why I just got all dressed up, because it's hot, and I didn't want you to see any kind of biological... <laughs> <laughs> I am not duded up for any kind of... I'm not dressed to impress today. It's very pragmatic. I want to uh, just welcome a few special friends who are here today. I've got two seminary buddies who are here, Jason and Bob. I'm so glad that they're here. They are sort of the wind underneath my wings a lot of times. And uh, I especially invited Jason because some of the stuff that he taught me in an ethics class is going to kind of filter into the sermon. And I have my nephews, Todd and Jason, who are here. We have finally reclaimed them from a life in San Francisco, and I'm glad they're home. Our friend Dana's here. I want to welcome all of you. Today we're going to be talking about something, and I'm glad you're all smiling now because it's a very serious sermon today. I actually thought to myself, should I try that Joel Osteen trick and kick off with a knock-knock joke or something? 
And then I thought, maybe that's not the way to go, because that always annoys me anyway. So I just want to just bless you all for being here on this beautiful summer day. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to listen in, in our own selves. And as we go through the sermon, I want you to have a conversation with yourself. I don't expect you to agree with everything I'm going to preach today. This is not one of those happy messages. But I want you to start a conversation with yourself as we ask the Lord to speak to us through his word. And we always want to start that conversation with prayer. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are a God of peace. And you're a God of love. You're a God of kindness. And Jesus, we follow you because you told us over and over again that though following you would not be easy, there would be great rewards when we set aside our own lives for our friends, when we decided that we would lose our lives in order to find them. That was your word to us, and we believe it. But God, it's mighty, mighty hard to live it. And there's so much noise and racket in the world that we lose the sound of your voice. Speak to us. Use this vessel of clay just as you would. Open the ears of every listener, uncloud our eyes, and break through the hardness that we may have in our hearts. We need that every day, Lord. And we pray that you will start a new work in us today. In the name of your beloved Son, amen. For years now, I've made a practice of adding the headlines to my morning devotion. After I center myself with scripture, I open my news feed to see what I should be praying for. And virtually every day, new people get added to my list. Every day, the media gather them for me under headlines with numbers in them. And the stories are tend to be written the same way. They're built from bottom to top so that the latest shootings and casualties in our city are at the top of the story. So I go to the bottom and I scroll upward, walking hour by hour through every day, praying at every corner along the way. And this is what my course of travel typically looks like. A 26-year-old Rogers Park man is shot at 12.24 a.m. A Chicago lawn woman shot at 12.43 a.m. A Humboldt Park man shot at 2.03 a.m. A South Shore 18-year-old shot at 2.14 a.m. Two Gage Park males shot at 7.55 p.m. An Ashburn man shot at 9.19 p.m. A 63-year-old Roseland pedestrian is shot at 9.30 p.m. A 20-year-old man shot while driving through Chatham at 9.45 p.m. A Lawndale teenager shot at 10.18 p.m. A Kenwood 22-year-old shot at 10.52 p.m. And two men ages 21 and 31 shot on the west side at 11.41 p.m. Those were the 24 hours that we now remember as July 22nd. And as sick as it makes me to say this, that was in Chicago a relatively good day. And you know why that is? It's because there were no fatalities, no children were injured, there were no shootings during the daytime, and there were no deadly confrontations with police. 
we weren't so fortunate in this past week, over 100 shootings happened within the last seven days in this city. Right now, the death toll stands at 19 from last week, but we're not sure how much that's going to go up. Statistically, in Chicago, someone gets shot every two hours. In the time that we are here today, we're here for two hours, roughly, there's a shooting. And every 12 hours, one of those shootings is fatal. I would wager, and I hate to even say this, but I would wager that there are some of us in this room who know someone who's been shot. Or if we don't know someone directly who's been shot, we have friends or neighbors or colleagues whose families have been shattered by bullets. And day after day of this reality has turned my morning prayer into this soul-rattling groan just like the one we hear in Psalm 31 that says, Oh Lord, how long? How long will you forget us? Forever? How long will you just look the other way? There are days, people, when I don't even have the strength. Sometimes I don't even have the interest to ask God for anything. I just find myself in the same mindset as today's psalmist. Oh, if I just had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and I would be at rest. I would run so far away. This writer is just plain tired of trying to get God's attention. He can't sit still. He struggles to think clearly. His heart is pounding. He's trembling. Death is breathing down his neck. He is living in a world encompassed, a city of violence. And if he could, he'd just get up and run. He'd get one of those Groupons, right? I get one every day. Usually comes in right after my devotions. Get a Groupon. Let's go to Lake Geneva. You know, $1.99 a night. If he could do that, he would. But here's the problem. The psalmist's source of grief is too close to home. So close that no matter where he goes, he can't escape it. The evil that grieves him is not some sort of abstract force at loose in the world. It's not this big systemic problem he can't get his hands around. No, the, this problem is so close to home because his adversary he knows all too well. His adversary, it turns out, is his friend, his brother, and his sister. Listen to what he says. It's not my enemy who's insulting me. I could handle that. It's not someone who hates me, who is exalted over me. I could hide from them. No, it's you, my equal, my close companion, my good friend. And the pain of that admission causes this poet to reach back for the good old days before the breakup when he says it was so pleasant when together we entered God's house with the crowd. Do you get that? The writer's enemy used to be his church buddy. They grew up hearing the same word. They grew up singing the same songs. They grew up praying the same prayers. And now something has wedged itself between them. In the truest sense, <coughs> excuse me, they were soulmates. And yet now their bonds have been shattered. 
While the writer's grief is so unbearable, he wants to fly away. It turns out his friend uses a different tack entirely. He's become aggressive and unfaithful and devious. He talks a good game, yet what he's saying is unconscionable. And in his effort to prove he's right, he's mounted a campaign. He's pulling people into his ranks, making all kinds of spiritual claims that de uh, despite the inescapable fact that his motives are devious. Listen, evil lives with them, even inside them. This is the psalmist's ass assessment. They don't change. They don't worship God. My friend attacked his allies, breaking his covenant. Though his talk is smoother than butter, war is in his heart. Though his words are more silky than oil, <coughs> they are really drawn swords. And what is this longtime friend, now enemy, telling folks? Cast your burdens on the Lord. God will support you. God will never let the righteous be shaken. And when I first read that, I struggled because I thought, how is that not true? Isn't that true? Cast your burdens on the Lord. God will never let the righteous be forsaken. But what's happening here that makes it so devious, what's happening here is that this guy is telling the folks to disengage. Just let God handle it. You ever heard that? We're just going to pray this thing through. And he is caught, what he's doing is he's creating a kind of spiritual apathy that is causing a disengagement from the problems of the world and the call on people's lives to live justly. This frenemy is using church language to lure folks into his way of thinking. He knows how church works. He's got the lingo down. And how many times have we seen this movie? In our own time, we see frenemies who are so good at churching, they can captivate national TV audiences. They can fill huge arenas. Every week, one of them has written a bestseller, it feels like, right? And there's always eight good ways to do something, 12 good ways to do something. Every week, they come out with this. And then on top of that, when there's a national crisis that is a question of faith, they're the first ones to sign up to get on the cable channels. Am I lying? They're the ones. They're going to speak for God in this. These folks can sing like David, and they can preach like Paul, and they can talk a whole lot about godliness and repentance and a Christian nation, but their words speak for themselves. They speak hate speech. War is in their hearts, and their tongues are as deadly as swords. If you haven't guessed, I'm not holding back today just so you know. Like the psalmist friend of me, these folks have chopped up the sound bites into such tiny chunks, a child could swallow them and spit them back out whole. All summer long, we've dealt with their vomit. In, instead of confronting the racism that's behind the Black Lives Matter movement, they want to turn the message. And what do they want to change the message to? All lives matter. It's very odd to me always how that works, how all of a sudden it's like, because I'm not on the side of the oppressed somehow, and i got to figure a way to get myself on that side. That's an act of denial. It's not, I'm not part of the problem, I'm part of the victims of the problem. It's ridiculous. It, <clears throat> excuse me. It's mighty dry up here. Instead of confronting the godless, uh, instead, of the, instead, of the, uh, instead of calling our gun-obsessed society to repentance, they shift the narrative 
from the fact that we are a crime-ridden society and they all of a sudden want to talk about black-on-black -black crime. Are you with me? Instead of calling for Christians to be peacemakers, they start defending their weapons. Guns don't kill people. Uh-huh, we've all heard it. Now, you can say to me, Tim, this has been going on for ages. Since the church began, waywardness and ignorance has been a problem, and I'm going to tell you absolutely you're right. The, first, uh, the early church writer of 2 Thessalonians saw what the psalmist saw and what we currently see. There is a demonic force in the world that seeks to deceive every willing soul. And I, yes, it's a demonic force. Whether, however you want to define that, it's evil. And the writer says it will use all power, signs, lying wonders, and every kind of wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused. I'm going to back up. They refused to believe the truth and so be saved. And what does God do about it? Well, that interests me a little bit because the writer goes on to say God sends them a powerful delusion leading them to believe what is false, so that all who have not believed the truth but took pleasure in unrighteousness will be condemned. In other words, folks, we can't fix their problem. The only people who can pull their heads out of the sand when it comes to this kind of thing are the ones who have chosen to put their heads in the sand to begin with. The price of their delusion is on them. But tragically, we all pay that price. So like the psalmist, the grief that grips our heart hurts all the more because there was a time when we counted these church folks as our friends. It was so pleasant when together we went to God's house. And now those days are gone. You uncomfortable yet? Okay, hang on. So I'm going to say this, and you can call me crazy, and you can talk about me later. If you, some of you want to get your phones out and text Emily right now and say, quick, send the hook, get this man out of the pulpit, pronto, feel free. I don't believe I'm talking to anyone in this room, but I think this needs to be said to every gun-toting Christian in America. If you are more concerned about your gun than human life, you're not my friend. I'm just going to say it, and that's how it goes. If you are more concerned about protecting an archaic constitutional amendment than keeping your neighbor out of harm's way, you're not my friend. It's just that simple. The terms of the agreement have changed. If you'd rather side with a bunch of hooligans who talk a good God game instead of heed the prophetic message to love mercy, to, do, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, you are not my friend. When I look into your face, I'm going to see my brother, and I'm going to see my sister. I'm going to pray for you with the same passion. I pray for the lives that you help destroy. I'm going to love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do whatever good I can for you. But there's no need to play polite about this. We cannot be friends. The bonds we shared, our faith, and the moral compass that once steered us in the same direction, those bonds have been severed. It's just that simple. 
For years, the great theologian Stanley Harawas hung a Mennonite poster on his office door that said, a modest proposal for peace. Let the Christians of the world agree that they will not kill each other. I'll just give you a minute for that. Let the Christians of the world agree that they will not kill each other. Can you imagine what a seismic change would happen in our world if every Christian, regardless of variety, whether born again, whether born into, whether you are of the holiday Christian sort that trots out on Christmas and Easter, or whether you are that Christian in denial kind, that person who goes by the spiritual but not religious piece, what if every Christian in America stood up and said, I can't be part of this death rodeo any longer? Every Christian. What would that do to our world? What if we decided that melting down our weapons would be a much smarter and better thing to do than having these meltdowns we have every week over gun violence, over riots over gun violence, over police brutality? What would that do? We woke up this morning to riots in Milwaukee. Was there a gun in that story? Yes, there was a gun in that story. What would we do? And that's the reality of what's going on because what we're dealing with in this world today, I don't care what they're trying to tell you, what we're dealing with in this world today is Christian-on-Christian Christian violence. Daily, we're confronting acts of homegrown Christian terrorism. We are gunning one another down in the streets. We are not at the mercy of a tyrannical uh, government. All right, for all of you militiamen out there, we're not at that, that's not, we're not there. All right, that's not where we are. At, on the same time, we are also not seeing, with, except with very few exceptions, people of other faiths stalking Christians in the street and gunning them down. This is not a constitutional crisis. It's a crisis of Christian conscience. And so most definitely, this is not about black-on-black black crime or who lives matter more than others and what lives matter and what lives don't matter. By and large, gun violence in America is a Christian-on-Christian Christian crime. And you're not going to hear any of the preachers taking the waves to support the NRA message. You're not going to hear them say that. But think about this. If we took every shooter of the last week, if we found those 100 shooters and we put them in a room and we said... What's your faith? What do you think the percentage would be? They'd all, I'm Baptist, I'm Methodist, I'm Catholic. If we took all the victims, where do we see these funerals happening? They're happening in churches. This is a Christian on Christian problem. And we refuse to deal with that. And I know this is a hard message. I know it senses, there's a sense of, of, of divisiveness in this. But that is part of the prophetic mission that we have to assume. For too long, we, have we who are committed to the gospel of peace and justice have settled for lamentation. How many of you have gone and lit with candlelighting ceremonies? How many candlelighting ceremonies have we had? How many protests and marches have we had? And I'm not disparaging those things. But what's not happening is we are not calling one another as Christians to account for the behavior that's going on in our society. We're ignoring that piece of that puzzle. We're, we're letting the shooting happen outside of our realm. And the Christian response is supposed to be to grieve what's happening outside of our realm. Don't tell me that's happening outside of our realm. These are Christian communities. Don't get up and 
tell me that we're going wrong, tell us all the queers are on the loose and we're losing our touch with an American nation. Let's talk about if this is, I mean, a Christian nation. If this is a Christian nation, how come there's so much violence? We're not holding ourselves to account. And in the middle of it all, we have to understand that it's time we take a prophetic stand if it's one-on-one. You know what? Facebook is the best platform that God ever gave a prophet. (laughs) I ordain every last one of you to work on Facebook in in, in a prophetic manner, which means speaking truth to power. If they don't want to hear it, they don't have to chime in. And if they do want to chime in, let them chime in. Hold your ground. It's time that, like the psalmist, we say, it's time you put down your weapons. It's time that this evil stops. And all summer long, see, I'm I'm kind of cruising in off of what we've been doing this summer because all summer long, we've been looking at these dark emotions. And the context for these dark emotions are the times we live in. And we've been asking, is there a way to turn them inside out, to make something positive and empowering come out of our fear and our anger and our disgust and our sadness. And last Sunday, we turned a corner, didn't we? When we rediscovered the great paradox of our faith, despite all of our sorrows, this gift of life that we've been given, this gift that Jesus suffered and bled and endured violence for, enables us to reach for joy. That's how we do. You know that? That's how Christians do. That's how we've always done. Joy is embedded in the Christian DNA. But so is disgust with violence. Let's not forget that our religion was born in a bloodbath in a time very much like our own whenever life was cheap And whenever anybody who was out after nightfall was in danger, and when, like today, many people died simply because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. That was the world of early Christianity. That's the world we live in today. You know, the parables from Jesus sometimes ends them when they have those dark endings where it's like, and so they bound them up and threw them into the outer darkness. You know those parables? Well, you know, we want to get all crazy about this, and well, he's talking about hell. He's not talking about capital H hell. He's talking about the reality of the world he lived in because they would bind people up and kick them out, out, of this, out on the outskirts of town where they were vulnerable to violence. That's what's happening in ours. In our society, we have bound up entire communities with racism and with poverty and with the glorification of violence, and we have thrown those communities into the outer darkness. It's not acceptable. Yet in our whirlpool of fear, disgust and anger and sadness, we keep reaching for joy because joy is our way of life. Joy is what grounds our conviction that the world we know is not the world that God is creating in and through us. Like the first Christians, we reach for the prophets, those ancient architects of our faith who envisioned a just and peaceful society where the people of God dropped their instruments of death and picked up instruments of life. That's the truth of our vision. That's the truth of the kingdom of God. That's the truth we keep telling, and that's the truth that has to bring us joy. So in the past few weeks... If you're wondering where this message comes from, I'm going to put the last card on the table. 
The last few weeks, we've been meeting a bunch of pastors in the city, and we've been talking about this. What's the answer? And it is coming more and more clear to us that there needs to be not a political action, that's all good, not a conscientious action, that's not good. We need in this city to take a prophetic stand. We can't wait for the mayor one minute longer. We can't wait for anybody else to get their stuff together. We need to rally the Christians of Chicago in a major way to make a visible stand against gun violence. And we're just going to go for broke, by the way. We're just going to call for Christian disarmament, period. All right? So just brace yourself for that. But what we're going to do is we are going to find a way to publicly, to reach passers-by on busy streets, to confront them with the fact that guns are not okay. You can justify them every which way you want to, but as long as we're, we're killing our own people, guns are not okay. So I want you to be ready, because in the next few weeks you'll be hearing more about it, and we'll be participating in that. It's still coming together, and i got to tell you, it's going to be very, very cool. I've shared it with a couple of people. I'm not going to, I don't want to, I'm not going to do a spoiler alert today. But meanwhile, I know that I've kind of just unloaded on you, which is a metaphor that I don't care for so much. But meanwhile, I just want to leave you with a modest proposal for peace. Let the Christians of America agree to stop shooting each other. Let the Christians of America agree to stop shooting each other. With God's help, we can stand in prophetic solidarity against delusional Christians who somehow or another think they can hold the gospel in one hand and a gun in the other. With God's help, we will carry each other with God's help, we will stand firm in the belief that every child of God in this city is worth fighting for. The mother in Lawndale and the father in Austin are worth fighting for. The son in Rogers Park and the South Shore teenager, they're worth fighting for. The senior in Roseland and the young person in, take your pick, you know, Inglewood, they're all worth fighting for. You're worth fighting for. You're worth fighting for. Last Sunday, somebody sat in a church pew. Do you understand that? Last Sunday, someone sat in a church pew, and this Sunday, that church's heart is broken because that person is not there. You're worth fighting for. I'm worth fighting for. Our frenemies are worth fighting for. So we close with the prophetic words of the psalmist. But you, God, bring the wicked down to the deepest pit. Let the bloodthirsty and treacherous people not live out even half their days. He's sort of loaded for bear. There's another metaphor, right? But he's wanting some kind of justice. I want us to claim the last six words of this psalm. But me, but us, we trust in you. Amen. Let's pray. God of this city. Oh, yes, you are. You are still God of this city. And we claim that today. And we claim as your people 
our power, our right, even our Christian privilege to stand against the lies of death and violence, to stand against Christian-on-Christian crime, to declare whether it's one-on-one or from the biggest tower that, that we could find that this is not acceptable and we will not take part. So God, we need courage. Oh yes, we need boldness. We need intentionality. And most of all, God, we need your spirit. You're a God of life. Of life. Uh, Use us to protect life. Use us to choose life. Use us as representatives of life. However you will. We promise to stand. We promise to do your will. In the name of all that's holy, amen.